You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. I hope you've had a great week. Uh, it was interesting this week. Uh, our elders went on a backpack trip, and our elders are lay people who are elected to be the governing board, the leaders of our church, and they really take that 30,000-foot view, and they oversee our church, they protect our church, they lift up our church in prayer, and uh, we decided, well, you know, instead of going to a hotel or some conference center where things would be very business-like for like three days, we looked around the room and we said, we all backpack. How about we go backpacking? And so we loaded up and we drove all the way up over the Sonora Pass, back onto the east side of the Sierra Nevada mountains, and uh, we got to a place called Levitt Meadows, and then what we did is we hiked up about six or seven miles up the Walker River, and then we were able to do day hikes to lakes from up there. But last week, you might remember that, that while we were up there, uh, we had all that moisture that came up out of San Diego, and it went up into the mountains, and so the weather was kind of extreme in the mountains this last uh, early week, and we were there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, it was great, because the first night we got up there, we just said, listen, let's Let's do a day of preparation. In the Old Testament, people would have the Sabbath. And when they had the Sabbath, they couldn't do work. And so what they would do is the day before the Sabbath, they would have the day of preparation. And it was then that they would cook all their meals for tomorrow because in Old Testament times, you couldn't cook on the Sabbath. It had to be very set apart, very holy, and you couldn't do that. So you had a day of preparation. So we got there that first night, we're tired from hiking, and we just basically said, listen, let's set our hearts before the Lord. Let's take time and seek him. Let's prepare ourselves for what God would do in us and through us over the next couple of days. Because if, if we're like a typical American, it'd be really easy just to run into doing the business of the church, wouldn't it? So we just took time to pray for you, to pray for our church, to pray for the future of our church, to pray for one another, to lift up just the needs and the care of our missionaries and the people all around the world who serve on behalf of the Lord and those who right here in Elk Grove are using their gifts and talents. And, and it was great and just a, a great couple of days. In fact, I think that setup day really made the next couple days very productive. Uh, and our way out, we got rained on about our middle day, just in the afternoon, just light drips. But on the way out, we're hiking, and I'm watching, I'm kind of fascinated by weather, but I'm watching these massive thunderstorms build up over the mountains. And instead of like the first couple days, everything was moving from the east, and it was moving backwards. It was moving west, where normally it goes over the ocean, then the Central Valley, then the Sierras, and then out to Nevada. And, you know, you get big thunderstorms that pick up trailer parks and things like that, right? So that's what normally happens, but it wasn't doing that. On the last day, the weather had shifted. The tropical environment had kind of ended. And that monsoon flow had ended and things were getting back to normal, but the moisture still in the air. And I'm watching behind us these massive thunderstorms just build up and we're hiking and we get, we're getting, I don't know, within about two miles of the car and we're exposed. We're out in the middle of this large plain. It's like sage grass, you know, sage bushes up to here. And it's just a real narrow trail. There's not many trees around. And I'm looking back and I see like the rain come over this peak. And I just see the wall of water, and it's advancing towards us. So I'm hiking. I've got my trekking poles, and I'm hiking like this. And I look back, and it's getting closer. And pretty soon, bam, it hits us. The wind hits us. The rain hits us. And we start to, like, tough it out. Like, hey, we can use a shower. We've been out here three days. We're all, you know, we can just use a shower. So we're toughing it out. And it starts getting harder. And it starts raining more. And now we're like, we're, we, we think we're somewhat close to the car, but we're not sure. So, you know, should we just push through and just get really wet and just call it a day? Our packs are getting wet. Everything's getting heavier, you know, and, and we're just getting, and should we put on our rain gear? So we're kind of debating this whole thing. And then it starts hailing on us. 
And not just hail, but like, like pea-sized hail. And I got to tell you, like that little greeny stuff that falls here and out grow every now and then, it's not very big, but pea-sized, that hurts. Like that can hurt. I mean, I'm glad it wasn't like 100-pound hailstones, but it was, it was, you know, it started coming down. And so I threw on my rain gear and Ray Peterson walked by and called me a big pansy as he was, you know, heading toward the car. And, and we finally get to the car. And by that time, it, it, like the storm had passed. It's all sunny and we are drenched. Like literally, I had like sweat marks in my hat the whole weekend. They're gone. My shirt, I take it off and it literally would be like if I took my shirt and dipped it in a pool and pulled it up and then wrung it out. That's what wringing out my shirt was like. I mean, we were just absolutely so, and we loved it. It was so much fun. And I got to tell you, there's something so cool. Life is short. There's something so cool about serving with other people whom you love. See, at Sun Grove Church, we take our mission very seriously. But the beautiful thing is we don't take ourselves too seriously. You ever notice that? Like maybe in your business or in your corporate culture, you just realize that, hey, they take the mission of the business seriously, and they probably take each other way too seriously. And it doesn't build the greatest relationship. I got to tell you, nothing is more fun than serving with other people whom you love. And we just had a great time out there seeking the Lord, looking toward the future, just having a great time. And it was a fun way to kind of kick off our week. It's amazing when you begin to live out of your purpose, you begin to live out of your calling that God puts joy in your heart. It's a beautiful thing. Parade Magazine had some interesting statistics about Elvis Presley. Any Elvis Presley fans in the room? Come on, be honest. There you go, Elvis Presley fans. I mean, here's what's amazing. It said this, that Elvis Presley sold more than 250 million records in his lifetime. He starred in 33 films, and he claimed a billion fans around the world. 30-plus years after his death, he's still the highest-paid entertainer because of all the residuals and all of the legacy sales of all the Elvis paraphernalia around the world. I mean, can you imagine that? Just a guy who climbed the ladder and at a very young age still just made this immense amount of success. Parade Magazine said this, quote, In spite of his enormous success, Elvis was, according to his friends, an unfulfilled and unhappy man. Suffering from obesity and drug dependency, he died at age 42. In this article, there was a pretty striking quote from Priscilla Presley, his wife. She said this in an interview, quote, Elvis never came to terms with who or what he was meant to be or what his purpose actually was in life. He thought he was here for a reason. Maybe he was here to preach or to save or to serve or to care for people. And that agonizing desire was always with him and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he would go on stage, and he wouldn't have to think about it. Elvis hadn't a clue about where to begin to look for purpose. In a sense, he was lost. And the sad thing is that in life, a lot of people are like Elvis. They don't have a clue what their purpose in life may be. They, they're, in a sense, they're lost. They don't have a clue where to look for purpose in life. And so we're carried along by culture. We're carried along by the demand of a career. We're carried along by the demands of family. And I get it. It's just subtle. It just happens. You, you get in a family. You, maybe you begin to have kids. Maybe your career takes off or the demands of your career make you just not have much time to yourself. And you spend all this time through your career. You might even kind of wear yourself out in your career years. So that when you get to retirement, you feel pretty worn out. Your body's worn out. Your mind's worn out. Your passion is worn out. Your joy might be gone. A lot of people are kind of like Elvis in that regard. They don't have a clue why they're here. They don't have a clue what they're here for or what they should be doing in their lives. 
But for you and I, in order to go find purpose in our lives, we need to go where purpose is in a life manual, the Bible. And so we need to look at the Lord's word for how to find purpose in life. And that's what we're going to do today. I would like you to take your Bible out if you got it. Take your uh, outline out. I highly encourage you today to take some notes because we're going to motor through some of this stuff. The first place I'd like you to turn in your Bible is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We're going to look at some Bible verses today that help you, that help me understand one of God's purposes for your life. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's a beautiful verse. In fact, that word workmanship there, it actually means we are God's masterpiece. We are God's poem. It would be like you being a songwriter and saying, I I've worked, I've taken all my creativity and I've poured out my heart and my passion into this song. I've created a very personal, very intentional song or poem or artwork or masterpiece. And Paul is saying, listen, you and I, we are God's masterpiece. He's very intentional about us. Almost as if he were to sing over us or create over us or work with us and craft us very intentionally. And we look among billions of people and say, what are we, if I can't be famous, maybe I'm just nothing. And God says, no, you are my masterpiece. Even before you were born, good works were prepared in advance that God wanted you to do with your life. And that's a pretty amazing thing because he wants you and I to make a contribution. He wants you and I to make a difference. You and I were made for ministry. You were designed to make a difference. You're not put here by accident. You're not here just to suck in air and use up resources and live a life and then breathe your last and that's it. God created you to make a contribution, a purpose. This week uh, on Friday, after we got back from our elder retreat on Friday, I officiated a funeral. And at the funeral, uh, it was for a friend of mine here at church. It was for his aunt. And uh, a lot of people were here at the funeral. We offered it to them for free. And they, they came, and we were able to just love on them in their moment of need. And, and as we talked about, I could just tell from the people at the funeral, as they spoke about the deceased, I never met the deceased, but as they spoke about her, they talked about the investment that she made in their life. They didn't talk about how great her career was. They didn't talk about how much money she made. They didn't talk about anything. They said, here's what she gave to me. Here's what she invested to me. Here's what she offered to me. And she listened to me. And she was there for me. And she cared for me. And all these things, they talked about what this person had done for them. At the end of our funeral, I gave the gospel message in the funeral and gave an altar call for people to just accept Christ. And about 10 people accepted Christ here on Friday, which is awesome. Middle of the day, just raising their hands saying, yes, I say yes to Jesus today. And it was just awesome to see. Maybe you've been to a funeral where the life that was lived was pretty selfish. And isn't it interesting to listen to the people talk at that funeral? They're trying to say nice things, but you can read their body language. They're trying to say that was a life well lived, but nobody really knew them. All they knew was that they were pretty selfish or they, they just made a lot of money or they did whatever they did or they were pretty mean to people and they're trying to make like, you know, some allowances for their life had meaning or purpose. It's very different, isn't it? Because we realize that what matters in life is not how long you live, but how you lived. There are young people who die, we would say a tragic young death, but so often that young death is 
you know, immortalized in a sense because that young person gave and loved and led and cared for people. Even if their life was short, they loved greatly. The difference is not how long you live, young or old, it's how you live. It's not the duration of your life, it's the donation of your life. When people speak at a funeral, it's what you donated to them. Did you give your time, your treasure, your talent, your ears, your love to them? What did you offer them in relationship? And how did they reciprocate that? See, God put you and me here on earth, not to just take, but to give back. He didn't make us here just to, to you know, be consumers. He wanted you and I to be contributors. Now, we are the church, and we understand one of the values here at Sun Grove Church is that, that the church doesn't exist for us. We are the church. We're the people who make up the church, and we exist for the world. And so we're not, we're not consumers, we're contributors. And we all have somebody to contribute. And one of the purposes of your life that we're going to highlight today is that God has given you abilities and gifts so that you can make a contribution. Here's the exciting thing. When God has a plan for your life, and he wants you to do something with your life, he always gives you all the gifts and the abilities that you need to carry that out. See, God doesn't just sit around and wait for you to be like, well, maybe you'll get it. Maybe you'll grow up. Maybe you'll do, you know, whatever. God gives you the gifts and the abilities to carry out the purpose he designed for your life. And there are five things that we're going to look at the next three weeks that make you, you. See, you can have a doppelganger in the room, right? You can have somebody even across the world. They look like you. They put the two of you together. They're like, wow, you're cut from the same mold. How is it that these two very different people look so much alike, and you might, it might be a celebrity, it might be somebody who's just random across the world, but you might have a doppelganger that people are like, I met like your identical twin, and they were in you know, whatever state, and you're like, I don't know who that person is, but you might have a doppelganger, but there are things that make you different than your doppelganger. There are five things on your outline. It's these, your spiritual gifts. When you come to Christ, God gives you a spiritual gift, a gift that is a, a gift to you, but it's something that you use to make a contribution in the church. It's your spiritual gifts. It might be encouragement. It might be teaching. It might be understanding the word. It might be giving. It might be that you serve with your hands, that you love with your heart. There's all sorts of spiritual gifts that you can look at in scripture. And if you are interested, you can actually just go online and take a spiritual gifts inventory. And spiritual gifts are great but spiritual gifts, once we understand what they are, don't excuse us from the greater gifts of love and faith and hope. That those are for everybody. But in addition to those, we have spiritual gifts. Second is your heart. It's the things that you care about. Some of you in this room, think about it for just a minute. What makes you sad or mad or glad? Think about things that you see it in culture, you see it on the news, you see somebody being so uncaring, you see somebody doing something, and all of a sudden you get sad or mad or glad. And you think in a moment, you just go, that makes me sad or it makes me mad or it makes me glad. And then you think everybody should be sad or mad or glad about what makes you sad or mad or glad. And then you're sad or mad or glad because everybody doesn't think that you think is sad, mad or glad, is sad, mad, glad. And you just think, why aren't they just like me? And maybe that's because God has uniquely wired you. You might be sad, mad or glad about different things than your doppelganger. You've got different spiritual gifts. You've also got a different heart. Third, you've got abilities that God has given you. Fourth, you've got a personality. Your personality can be radically different than somebody else. But it's what God's given you. And last are your experiences. And let me just tell you something here. The experiences we're talking about are not just the highs, but also the lows. That God walks with you through life. And we are shaped by our experiences, aren't we? You've been through rough times. You've been through hard things. God shapes your life through that. 
And those are your experiences, and God never wastes a hurt. We call these areas shape. If you take the first You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org. Even if you take the statistical options among these five things, they're endless in possibility. Even if somebody looked exactly like you, these are still the things that make you you. Nobody else has had your set of experiences. Nobody else has exactly your personality. Nobody else has the abilities plus the spiritual gift plus the heart that you have. God has made you uniquely you, and he's called you alone to a purpose that only you can fulfill. In fact, if you don't fulfill that purpose, it goes on unfulfilled because God has made you the only person on the planet that can fulfill that role. He made you the only person who's just like you. And let me just say, if you have natural abilities or talents, our talents are not just to be used on ourselves. Our talents are an investment in us that now are to make a contribution to other people. They're not just for our benefit. Peter said it this way, each one of you should use whatever gift he has or he's received to serve others. Now listen, this is Peter. Peter denied Christ three times. He totally messed up. And in a very short amount of time, God met him over breakfast and began to love on him and instruct him and let him know that, you know what, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. I still have valuable ministry for you, even though you've denied that you know me. And he reinstated him to ministry. And Peter, just bouncing back from that experience, realized that God wanted something very specific for him to do. And now he says, of the church, of people who make up the church, each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others. Notice it doesn't say use your gift and make a lot of money. You might be really good at making money, but that doesn't make you generous, does it? That doesn't mean you're serving or using it. You're just good at making money. It doesn't say use your gift to be famous. God might give you some degree of fame, but we can certainly all turn the fame on ourselves, right? How many famous people do we know have been unable to handle the fame because it makes them so self-centered that they go on self-destruct. Nope. Peter says, listen, I've been through it. I've walked with Jesus. Use your gift to serve others. Your talents are not only for your benefit, they're to benefit other people. So if you're taking notes today, I highly encourage you to write this down. My purpose is to serve God by serving others. See, there's a lot of people in our world who want to serve God. They're like, I want to do something valuable with my life. I want to make a difference. In fact, I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve God. But here's, here's the problem. You want to serve God, but you don't want to serve other people. See, what you want to do is like, I want to serve you, God. I want to be full on for you, but I don't like other people. Uh, people are messy. People are difficult. I don't want to serve other people. It gets sticky there. I want to just serve you, God. But here's the problem. You can't see God. You can't see him. So how are you to go around like a servant somehow and serve just him? God says, the way that you serve me is that you love other people. That's what you do. I've made an investment in you, and now you love other people. And so to say, like, God, I want to serve you, but I'm not really into people, just doesn't work. God says, the way that you serve me, the only way, is when you serve and love other people. Jesus said it this way about himself. In Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's referring to himself. The Son of Man is that 
Old Testament phrase out of Isaiah that talks about the coming Messiah. So Jesus is talking about himself, the Son of Man. He's saying, even I, God of the universe, even the Messiah, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. How did he serve? He gave it away. Gave his life. Did he come to earth and could he deserve? Could he have come down to earth and been like, everybody, I'm putting you on notice. I am God and you need to give me what is due me. He could have done that. He had every right to do that because he's God. But that's not how he came. That's not his attitude. It's not how he served. And if you and I are to understand what Jesus' attitude is like, we're going to understand how to find purpose in our lives, then we've got to look at how Jesus serves. It involves your attitude. You can have all the gifts and talents and the abilities in the world, and you can be a jerk. But when your attitude is to love other people, you're going to be blessed by God. If your attitude is to serve yourself and try to get your own fame, then it's, you're not going to be blessed by God. We're going to look at the heart of Jesus because every person's called the ministry. You say, wait, 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 time out. Dave, like pastors are called the ministry. Like that's what pastors and missionaries do. They're like, they got the call and it's like on their life and they're called the ministry. But I, I got to tell you, that's not what scripture says. Some people do ministry full-time, and God allows that to happen, but, that, but, it, but the word ministry is actually the word serve. There's no difference between the word ministry and the word serve. In Greek, they're exactly the same word. If you want to know who the minister is, pull out your driver's license and read the name. God called you and me to minister, to be his hands and feet, his ambassadors of hope to a lost world, to love them. There's no difference. Some of you have been before, here before when I've talked about ministry is like serving, and there's no difference between the two, and I've served volleyballs at you out in the audience, and, and what happens is, you know, you have to duck, because there's a lot of different ways to serve volleyball and serve a nice little gentle float. I could jump serve and rip the person's head off near you, and that would be bad. We don't want any lawsuits, you know, no, no neck whiplash. So it's the idea is it's to serve. There's a lot of different ways to serve. We all have different serves. But God's called us together to put the ball in play. Why? Because we're the church. And God, in his wisdom, utilizes the people who are the church to carry out his will on earth. He says, I want to work in you, and then I want to work through you. And the way you bring me glory, the way that you serve me, is by loving other people. Life is a preparation for eternity. Some of you think that, you know, you get to eternity and you're going to, like, walk around. It's going to be a forever sing fest. I know we got some other worship leaders in the room, and I just got to let you know, please tell your people, that's the most boring idea ever. I mean, you, you have this picture that when you get to heaven, you're going to be on your cloud and you're going to pull out the harp. Not likely. Just letting you know. And you think that Matt Lingo is going to come out with his guitar and be like, all right. You know, let's go. And it's going to be like a forever sing fest. But that's not what scripture says. Scripture says when you and I get to heaven, we will have authority and we will reign and we will have responsibility that we will serve under God's authority, but we will reign with him like kings and that there will be responsibility and jobs and work for us to do. And so what God wants us to do is say, listen, on earth, you're here to practice. You're here to practice using your gift because heaven's going to be about a place where we serve and honor the Lord. And that's why that we've themed this year, hashtag the year of the volunteer, because we believe as we've just sought the Lord that if we're going to go where God wants Sun Grove Church to go, if we're going to be the people that he wants us to be in Oak Grove and beyond, that we've got to be the kind of people who utilize our gifting and understand the word of God and begin to serve. It's the year of the volunteer. 
And we're going to look at how Jesus did that. So we need to learn to serve like Jesus. Number one, if you're taking notes, serving like Jesus means being available. There were two blind men that Jesus was walking by, and they shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Jesus is on mission. He's going about his business. These blind guys call out to him, and Jesus takes the interruption as an opportunity. He made himself available. He stopped, and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Some of you think that God has tuned you out. Some of you think that God doesn't listen to you anymore. Some of you feel orphaned by God. But we just see time and again that the God of the universe takes the interruption from those who cannot see him. And let me tell you, you and I can't see him. So can we cry out to God, knowing he'll stop and say, what, what can I do for you? It's not a guarantee that he'll do whatever we ask him. It's like, God, I just need a Corvette. <laughs> Doubt he's going to say that and be like, run on. No. Proverbs gives us some wisdom in Proverbs 3, 28. It says, do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. What's it saying? Don't delay. Take the interruption. Be available. In fact, when we talk about volunteers at church, it's, it's kind of a weird acronym that we will sometimes use, but we say the greatest volunteers are those who are faithful, like they come regularly, that they're available, they make themselves available, and they're teachable. They don't walk in just being know-it-alls, and then they serve. But that spells fats, and it's not the greatest, you know, kind of thing, but, it, but really it's what helps make us use our gifts well. Jesus always told his disciples, watch and pray. You know, you think that God told you to pray. You know, go in your inner room and pray, and, and just make sure you pray a light. And some of you are like, why do I pray? God already knows everything about me and everything about my life, but you're missing the point. God says, watch and pray. Sometimes he says, watch and pray so we don't fall into temptation. But often he says, watch and pray because when we come before the almighty God of the universe and we pray to him, we need to pray with anticipation that saying, God, I, I am coming and bringing this. I'm humbling myself before you. I'm bringing this need. I'm bringing this opportunity. I'm bringing these things. I want to see change in my life. I want to see change in other people's lives. I want to see change in our world. And we begin to watch and pray like, God, I'm praying to you, but I'm going to watch so that when the moment comes, when you open my eyes to the need, I'm available right then. There's a sense of anticipation. Otherwise, you could pray, 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 and God perks up the opportunity, and you're not ready. I'm not ready. God is looking for people who will watch and pray that we're available. But there are some barriers, and I'm going to hit these pretty quick. Barrier number one is self-centeredness. Our culture tells you that it's all about you. We become self-centered. We say it's our life. Our culture says Sunday, fun day. So it's all about just having fun. You've got to do chores, you've got to do projects, do them on Saturday, and then Sunday should be a fun day. And it should be a fun day. But it should be a fun day as we offer the first of our week before the Lord. Let me tell you something. Are you losing joy in your life? Then I want to tell you to give God the firsts. If you give God the first of your income, you're going to handle your money better. Your, mon your monetary situation is going to be better because you're honoring God with what is due him. If you give God the first of your day, that before you even get out of bed, your alarm goes off and you grab that phone, you grab whatever, your Bible off your nightstand, and you begin to read even just a chapter in that morning, your day is going to go better because you spent time in the word. And it doesn't mean the circumstances of your day go better. It means how you respond to them is going to be a lot better because you spent some time with the Lord. You honor God with the first. 
It took me years to think about honoring God with the first when it came to vacation. That when we go on vacation somewhere, I would think like, oh, well, it's a Sunday. We're on vacation. That means we take a vacation from church. And God says, give me the first of your week. Give to the Lord the first day of the week. And that means when we go on vacation now, we look for places to be able to go on, uh, and, and uh, go to church. And so we just recently went down to San Diego uh, right before my grandfather passed away a couple weeks ago. And we went down there and we uh, went to Jared Wildermuth Church. Jared grew up in our church. He's now working a job down in San Diego. He went to the church where his uncle goes. It's a Pentecostal church. Any Pentecostals in the room? Yeah, get two hands up, guys. Come on. There you go. Yeah, that's it. So, okay, we go to the Pentecostal church, and, and we're at the church right there, and, uh, you know, it's a great message, and it's great worship, and we get near the end, and, and it was a multi-site of a larger church, and the actual lead pastor was there from it, and at the end, he begins to slay people in the spirit, which means he puts their hand on their forehead, and he shoves them, and then people around him catch them, and he's saying the Holy Spirit is doing something in the person's life, which I've seen before, but I've never seen it with sound effects, and he was like this. He was like, and like then people would catch him and then the, I was like, wow. Thought he was gonna pull a lightsaber there for a second. It's different. But here's the thing. I can worship in that environment. I can give God the first, even though people are utilizing different expressions when it comes to the Lord. I want to honor him with the first instead of being self-centered. And let me just meddle here for a minute with you. Some of you don't want to serve at church at times because you say, if I serve, I might have to come almost every week. Ooh, that was below the belt, right? Why? Because in our culture, we want to say, my availability is what I guard the closest. We want to say that the, the God of our age, you go to India, the gods are like little idols, and they bow down, and they worship, and they have little figurines, and you're like, that's weird. Why would people do that? They're like bowing down to stuff, and that's in India. But you come to America, guess what the idol is? You want to know the name of the God of America? The name of the God in America is as I please. That's his or her name, isn't it? And we guard that close. And we say, well, I don't want to, don't mess with my availability. Don't make me commit. Don't make me join. Don't make me serve because... I want to be available to myself. Second area of barrier that steals our joy is perfectionism. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not going to serve in that department until they get their act together. You're like, if they do here what they did in my corporate world, we'd be bankrupt. And maybe what you're seeing there is happening because they're missing your gift. Maybe they need your organization. Maybe they need your joy. Maybe they need your encouragement. Maybe they need your help. But when you and I become self-centered and we become perfectionists and we become puffed up, and the third barrier is materialism. Luke 16, 13 says, no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And what's he saying this? He's saying, listen, you got to choose which God you have. And if, if you and I evaluate, if we look at our checkbook, if we look at our calendar, if we look at our life, we will notice that we worship based on our time and our treasure and our talents. And if we look at those areas of our life, we begin to see, do I serve money or do I serve God? And what this verse is telling you and I here to do, it's giving you and I full permission to be cheaters. Say, what? It's giving you full permission to cheat. It's saying you cannot love money and you cannot love God. In fact, since both are impossible, you got to cheat one. You got to be a cheater on one of these two things. So you got to choose to cheat. Which one are you going to cheat? Are you going to cheat money so that you can love God? Or are you going to cheat God 
and lose your joy. Choose to cheat. Serving like Jesus, number two, says serving like Jesus means being grateful. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here in John 11. And Psalm 100, verse 2 says, worship the Lord with gladness. There's this beautiful picture that as Jesus was carrying out his mission, he's saying, God, I'm so glad that you hear me. And I'm saying this for the benefit of everybody else standing around because you always hear me. And God has not tuned you out. God has not orphaned you. He loves you. He's available to you. He always hears you. He loves you very much. Be grateful. You're to be a walking worship service. You say, what? It means like I leave here and I'm singing, let it be known. Let, uh, no, it's not what you know. It's not like you're just ongoing singing. But that what it means is that when you love other people, you're worshiping. When you give of your time, your treasure, your talents, you are, you are honoring God. When you work with integrity in your job, you are honoring God. That you are a walking worship service. When you're out in nature and you see something beautiful, you say, good job, God. You're, just, you're lifting him up. You're giving him worship. And when you and I are living our purpose and we're loving other people, it's worship. You are a walking worship service. See, what we do in here has better have an impact in the world out there. Or we're wasting time. At Sun Grove Church, we talk about celebrating and serving. What does that mean? We ask people to celebrate one hour. Come and worship God. Be in the service here. Let's celebrate. But let's also serve one hour. So you got a chance in the morning or during the midweek or you got a chance anytime here in morning or evening to serve. We want you, if you say, I'm moving from guest to family, I want to celebrate one hour and I want to serve another. You say, Dave, are you saying I need to be here for two services a weekend? I'm saying yes. Because we want you to celebrate and serve. We want you to set the date for someone to love Jesus. Could you imagine? I mean, right now, there are people who honestly, they're working with your kids. There are people who just took all these hundreds of students off to camp today to Hume Lake, and they are serving. There are people who took their vacation to go serve at camp. Why? Because they were making investments so deep with the love of God in the life of teenagers and children that they might never recover from it. They're not camp counselors. They're making an immense investment of love in the lives of those who are still developing. What about you? Could you imagine if you said, I will help. I can't make a person fall in love with God, but I could set the date and just maybe they'll fall in love with Jesus Christ. Could you serve? Would you use your gifts? Would you come in and administrate? Would you come and work with numbers? Would you come and work with people? Would you come and serve by getting your hands dirty? Would you do what God has designed you to do according to your shape? Not stuff you hate to do, but stuff you love to do as you serve the Lord. We've got some barriers that steal our joy in this area too. Barrier number one, when we compare says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul is using this argument. He's saying, listen, it's not ours to judge. Each person's going to serve in a different way, and we're not comparing with one another. And as we serve the Lord, it's the Lord who judges how we serve, and we need to use how God has uniquely wired us to serve him. Second barrier is when we compete. See, when we compare, it's... It's the defeated. It's the deflated, right? Oh, I can't play guitar like that. I, I don't have that gift. I'm not as good at that as somebody else. They're, they're just a lot better, and, and you're, you're deflated. But the other end is when you 
when you compete with other people, you're like, I am so much better at that than anybody else. I'm the absolute best person in the whole room. And, and, and what happens there is you're puffed up. And when you're puffed up, it means it doesn't take much for you to get deflated. And when you're deflated, it means you're deflated because you were puffed up, but now you're moping because you're deflated. Both of those steal our joy. When we compete, Jesus said it this way, be careful to not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. See, our motives matter, don't they? We want to volunteer and not serve a silo, not serve a department, not serve a person, but serve the Lord. And your joy will return in your life. You'll live with purpose. It's an amazing way to do that. Number three, serving like Jesus means being faithful. John 17, verse 4 says, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus is wrapping it up. He's actually praying. He's talking to God the Father and saying, I'm, I'm finishing the work you gave me to do. I'm being faithful. I haven't squandered it all. And I got to tell you something. When you and I have squandered years, God is so good at restoring the years that you and I squander when we're faithful to him. How do you become faithful to God? You just begin again. You start walking now. And over time, you build that track record of faithfulness. There's only way to do it. And God is so good at walking along with us. We honor God with the first of your week. First Corinthians, Paul says, now it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. Here's the beauty of this statement, that God has given you gifts. He's made you uniquely you. He's shaped you, and that's a gift to you. He's given you and made you, crafted you, uniquely you. And he said, now that I've made you you, you have been given a trust, and you must prove faithful. You must use what I've given you to do, and it brings glory to God. And I gotta tell you, they are not equal gifts. Not all of us are, are equally gifted. There's some of you in this room, you are just stinking gifted. You are so good at so much. You're like, you, maybe some of you guys can play every instrument. Maybe some of you are so artistic. Some of you are just, it, school was easy for you. All of school was easy for you. You're just incredibly gifted, but there's others of us in the room who are like, I can do a weird body trick right? You just think, I'm not that gifted, but there are other people. And the point is, it, it, it's not how gifted you are. It's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. That we use what's been entrusted to us for the Lord. In fact, it says, to whom much has been entrusted, much is expected. The more gifted you are, the more God looks and says, how did you steward or manage and leverage and use those gifts that I've given you. Serving like Jesus, number four, means being generous. Second Corinthians, Paul says, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will do a couple things. They'll praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. There's a sense of just generosity. And when you and I generously love other people and we give to other people, when you and I make that donation of life instead of a duration of life, that when you and I love others and are generous to them, they say two things. And I love this scripture. It says, others will praise God. Listen, for the obedience, so that's your action, the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. That's your words. So what they're saying is they're going to praise not you, they're going to praise God because you're walking, you're talking. And when you walk and serve and love other people, they're going to praise God, which is beautiful because now God 
is served. He gets the glory. And Paul says in Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown as you've helped his people and continue to help them. See, God's been generous with us. Before we were born, before the creation of the world, he crafted us, he masterpieced us, and he intended for you and I to do good works in this life. But he said, you know what? You're not going to be able to do that unless I put my Holy Spirit in you and work in and through you, and I'm going to give you a way to avoid the condemnation that comes through sin. He stretched his arms out on the cross, and he sacrificed himself, and he bought us back like we were hostages to sin that ultimately kills, and he bought us back from that to give us eternal life. He's saying, but in this life, honor me. You've been bought with a price. Honor me. Generosity breeds generosity. This uh, week at the funeral that uh, we officiated on Friday, there was a lady, and she accepted Christ, and, and, and they had a little receiving line at the back of the auditorium here. So after the funeral, everybody can lay me this big line, and I'm talking to people in line. I'm kind of at the end of the line. I make it all the way through and finally make it to the immediate family. And this lady's like, can I give you a hug? I said, sure. So I give her a hug, and then she backs up. She goes, oh, my gosh. I want to I do this. I want to do this with Bruce and Kelly so that other people get what we just experienced. So we were generous, we loved, and her response to love was, I want to serve so that other people could have the same experience I just had. I don't even know if the lady was saved, right? But she accepted Christ, was so neat. She was here this morning with her husband, who was at the funeral. They both gave their lives to Christ today in church. They can't wait to take the Discover class. Isn't that awesome? generosity. Here's the picture though. Generosity breeds. It's so anti-cultural. Generosity breeds generosity. Let me tell you one last story. It's pretty cool. We had Rayleigh's come in here and do a huge leadership summit. They changed the whole building. They put these amazing banners everywhere. Their signage was off the hook because it's a grocery store, right? Rayleigh's Bel Air and what's the other one? Knob Hill. Thank you very much. And they come in here and they're awesome. I mean like they transformed our building. We were like oh my gosh, they are like interior decorators just went through our house. That's what we felt like, right? We're like, maybe they'll leave some stuff. Like they figured out out front, that big metal thing that hangs over the front door has seven bays and you can hang a banner down from each bay. And so they made it say, welcome, because welcome is seven letters. And we're like, who would have thought of that? professionals, right? They're using their gifts. I don't have that gift. They have that gift. But we were like, well, maybe they'll leave us some banners. Maybe they'll leave. We can just cover up the Rayleigh's part. No, they didn't leave us any stuff. We're like, oh, but we were generous. We opened the doors here to them. They could make a donation if they wanted to. They loved it so much. They signed up for the next year and they came around and they said this. They said, listen, you guys were so awesome uh, to, you know, have us here. And they made a donation toward our grief ministry, but they came back around and they said, listen, um, we didn't leave you any of that stuff, but what we want to do is we want to give you our graphic designers and you can use them for a couple days. They've already spec'd out your building. They'll go through and we will print anything you want in our own print shop. We want to do that as our gift to you. We were thinking like this big, right? But they were thinking big. God thinks bigger. It's what he does. Generosity breeds generosity. Love breeds love. Service breeds service, and you have been served. And some of us in this room, we've forgotten. We've gotten away from what it means to be served and that feeling of when we first came to Jesus. And we need to turn around and begin to set the date for others to come to know him. Could you imagine volunteering and setting the date? Could you imagine coming alive in the joy and the purpose of your life and your heart and you say, man, I can't, look for, I can't wait for retirement because then I'll be able to minister, to serve. 
full-time and I'm not worried about the finances as much. But what do we say? I'm busy. What are we really saying? As I please. I mean, ask what retired person's not busy. They'll say, I didn't know in retirement I'd be so busy. How did that happen? Because life happens that way. God says, honor me with your work. Honor me with your gifts. Could you imagine if you would do that, what an impact Sun Grove Church would make in Elk Grove? Could you imagine what an impact Sun Grove Church would make across the world because people are using their gifts and God calls some into, into full-time ministry and calls others to come to just know him and love him and that there are others who are saying, I will serve, I will set the date, I will work with kids or I'll work with youth, I'll work in the finances, I'll work wherever God would have me to work according to how he shaped me. Could you imagine the contribution we could make to a lost world? It would be awesome. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me, thinking only of your own life. I want to just take a moment here, and some of you in this room, you realize, I'm just coming to realize the great gift and generosity and love that God extended to me, and I've never reciprocated, I've never responded with the generosity of giving my life to him, and so I realize I don't have forgiveness of my sin because I've never received that his death on the cross was done for me. And if tonight you would like to receive Jesus as Lord, if you would like to ask him to come into your life, if you'd like to say yes to him, then pray a prayer right where you're seated after me like this. Jesus, tonight I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation, a new masterpiece. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me that you were buried in a grave and that you rose to new life. You are God. And so today, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, will you just raise up your hand? Anywhere around the room that today is the day you just said yes to Jesus. Awesome. Believers in the room. As your pastor, I'm just asking you, will you consider signing up in your program? You've got information that tells you some of the needs we have, even between now and the end of the year. And you, over the next three weeks, can look at that and begin to sign up for ways to get your hands dirty, to commit to honoring God with the first and to serve. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your great gift in our lives. Thank you that we have the privilege to serve a lost world. None of us know our time. But we know the author of eternity. And for that, we're forever grateful. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.